Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Rebel City Podcast. Um, this week's guest is Eve Livingston. How's it going, Eve? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No problems at all. Thanks for coming on. Yep, um, nice I had been sort of alerted to yourself by a tweet about sort of freedom of speech, and this is something that's been coming up quite a lot recently, just in normal conversations, but also talking to people. I think we've touched on it a wee bit with the podcast, but we've not really went into it because... Um, it's almost like a subject that's it's been hijacked, mm. I feel, um, by a certain sort of section of society. But I think before we get into that, do you just tell people like just a wee bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so I'm a freelance journalist based in Glasgow. Um, although I work across the UK, so I do lots of work for like The Guardian and Independent mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and I mostly cover sort of social affairs and politics, I guess, with a particular focus on um, inequalities. So, you know, stuff around um, feminism and poverty and Mm -hmm. any of that kind of thing, really. But freedom of speech, um, and in particular, the way that it's been hijacked, as you've just mentioned, is uh, also quite a big interest of mine. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so you've got the No Offence newsletter that Mm -hmm. I subscribed to earlier on the day, but I had a chance to actually read. But I read the... There was a, a an article and like a sort of script to a speech that you had mm. done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what? Why do you think freedom of speech has been hijacked? So, in what way has it been hijacked? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really kind of complicated issue. I think th- there's two things. The first thing is that f- like freedom of speech and threats to it um, do exist and are huge and like a really pertinent issue. And I don't yep. think that. I mean, maybe it goes without saying, but I'm coming from a, a left-wing journalist perspective. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the left have always been great at um, having that conversation. Mm-hmm. But the way that the conversations played out in the media, particularly in the last, I don't know, I guess, five to ten years, um, has been what I would say is an almost completely fictional um, sort of story told by the right to um, to essentially do the opposite of free speech. I think to blunt dissent and to... Um, crack down on protest and to mm-hmm. get rid of viewpoints that challenge them um, so it's quite ironic the way that it's been kind of employed in the the media so we see all these conversations about um you know protests on university campuses and uh, no platform policies and safe spaces and all this mm-hmm. kind of language yep. um and the right are going on and on and on about how these are like huge threats to free speech and we're living in an authoritarian state and all of that but at the same time they're ignoring real threats to free speech so journalists being uh, threatened and imprisoned yeah. things like that just happened the other week where um kcl uni in london um the queen went to visit and the the university administration blocked um, student activists' cards so they couldn't get access to the building while the Queen was there. Mm -hmm. And they did that on the basis of people that they'd seen protesting previously. So that's like a very clear example of textbook sort of freedom of expression violation. But Mm. you didn't see those right-wing kind of media voices up in arms about that. Mm. I mean, look at the, the, you know, if we use America as an example, the deplatforming and whatnot of guys like Alex Jones and mm. so on and so forth has obviously caused a big sort of furore. But on the other side of things, you've got Khashoggi being assassinated by the Saudi government exactly. and the American president going, that's cool, they buy weapons off us, don't worry about it. And yeah. you're like, those two things kind of realistically coexist in a free society for me. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah. either hammering people on free speech or defending it. You can't really do both, you know what I mean? Mm. It's exactly that. I think they're just using... <clears throat> 
but I mean it's really clever actually because what it allows the right wing to do is to kind of frame their um, dislike and wish to crack down on left wing ideas in a sort of framework that looks really progressive yep. so they're saying like we're just sticking up for freedom and like a pluralistic society mm -hmm. but they're actually using it to do the opposite mm -hmm. um so you know it's a it's a very clever reframing that they've that they've done and they've been largely successful because it's all over the press yep. all the time every time they even like a really minor sort of student incident you know like one small student society at a random campus in somewhere in england who like disinvite a speaker that society's probably got like 10 members you yeah know? it's mm. probably the meetings are probably like three people coming along and drinking a pint mm -hmm. um and somehow that manages to make headline news because of the way that this has been the way sort they, of they sort of mobilize their hordes mm, exactly mm -hmm. do you think that um so like that is something that is really important i think that this idea because there is a lot of talk about deplatforming and uh, especially like sort of people that go and speak on university campuses in america mm -hmm. there's there's almost i, I heard the first time yesterday that the cultural marxism bomb getting dropped and i think that that's <laughs> something that if you're really up on this this topic in america that they talk about cultural marxism quite a lot and mm. why do they why why is there this sort of tend to be afraid of university campuses or college campuses in america it's like what was the the, the one that i'd heard that marxist socialist feminist college un uh, college lecturers yeah. that was the actual quote that somebody used <laughs> i was thinking it's the framing that you're talking about how do you know how do you know what that person like based on what based on the fact that they didn't want some sort of a rape culture guy going and doing exactly. a speech at their college mm -hmm. like why is this becoming such a big sort of issue for people i suppose the university thing in particular for me it's probably about two different things and the first is that universities are like an easy target for this because they are traditionally held up as being this sort of bastion of free yeah. speech and you go there to have these debates and um you know to challenge each other's views and i mean i think that's quite a rose-tinted idealistic view of how a university operates anyway mm, yeah. because especially in the current political situation when they're so um they can be very kind of corrupt and the way they're funded is not yeah um transparent or uh, in the interests of free speech or free expression but anyway th this kind of um popular idea that that's what those places should operate to do and then that that complemented with the idea that actually a lot of students and lecturers are quite left-wing and progressive mm -hmm. um you know because I, I wouldn't i think it's an oversimplification to say that it's purely a generational thing but i think it's fair to say that a lot of younger people becoming politically engaged now in the sort of extreme situation that we're in um, are more radical than yep. than people were in previous generations. So I think the right wing find that incredibly threatening. Yep. Um, mm. So that's why they're trying to crack down on that group in particular. But it's not, I mean, it's not just in America, it happens in um, in the UK too. Mm -hmm. um, and the speech that you referred to in the introduction was actually because I was a student union officer um, when I was at Edinburgh Uni in 2014, it would have been. And that was kind of right when the free speech thing on campuses in the UK was like starting to creep in. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if people remember this story, but it was a huge story at the time where um, Edinburgh Uni student officers the year before me, so it wasn't a decision that I was involved in, had taken the song Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke okay. off of the playlist. Yeah. So it's this R&B song and it's got all these lines. I mean, it's called Blurred Lines and it's yeah. got these lyrics about... Um, 
it says like, oh, I know you want it, even if you say no. It's like that kind of thing. Right. And the, the argument was that this is like a really like rapey song. Yeah. Um, and Which, I mean, it, it definitely it was. I mean, there was an uncensored <laughs> version of the video that had like oh, five or six sure. naked yeah. women just pandering over these guys. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it was, I mean, I think when I first heard that song, I just thought, whatever, it's just another shit pop song. Yeah. But then when you listen to the it's lyrics... a good pop song, but well, I just drew the line at pop song. Yeah. <laughs> but when you I listen, mean, it's actually quite catchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's almost so, like some of the argument that's made, isn't it? Is yeah. that like, but I like it. But well, I like, exactly. But, but I like the song, and it's like, do you, do you listen to the lyrics? I think this is part of. But, I mean, it, that was also like part of the conversation was like, all that had happened there was that those officers had said, let's take it off the playlist in our venues. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a censorship. It wasn't like if you come into the building, we're going to check your mobile phone to <laughs> yeah. see if you're listening to it on your headphones. Yeah. Which um, would actually be totality. I mean, that would be so, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so that, that got spun into this massive thing. So I kind of came into that role in the aftermath of that. And it was when this conversation was kind of starting up in the UK. Or not starting, but like getting kind mm-hmm. of really big in the UK. Mm-hmm. And um, there's Spike, who's like an online right-wing um, magazine who have been right at the forefront of this sort of um, putting forward this sort of culture wars, free speech framing from the right. Mm. Um, they launched this campaign called Down With Campus Censorship and came around university campuses doing debates and stuff. And the, the speech that you referenced in the opening that I gave was um, at one of those debates where their editor came and debated with me and a couple of students on a panel um, about all of these issues. And that Wait, was one. five years ago. <laughs> me, obviously. <laughs> uh, no, I'm only kidding. I mean, it was what I would say is it's, I do quite a lot of those events even now, sort of just panel discussions and debates and stuff. And that's definitely the most um, hostile and tense one that I've been to. I mean, people were um, really quite finding it quite difficult, I think, to hear some of the stuff that was being said. I, I remember the guy from Spike saying something like about racism on campus, about people, people just have to be. Um, exposed to racism so that they know what the real world's like. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, shock therapy, racism. <laughs> and it was just, he was just saying these totally bizarre things, you know, with no um, no kind of remorse or compassion. So I think that's the juxtaposition in some of it as well, isn't it? When something like the campaign against censorship, it sounds on the surface it as though you're like, you know what, I'm all behind that. Sounds great. And then the yeah. guy stands up and goes, so racism's cool because, and you're like, hold on a minute. Yeah. I mean, like, there's this whole like diametric thing that happens where you find a lot of the stuff that's actually named as though it is progressive and liberal when you actually meet or you know get under the surface of it you're like hold on a minute these guys are like right-wing crackpots yeah exactly there's yeah. almost like there's, there's this new sort of i'm not left i'm not right i'm a classic liberal which mm. is like i'm liberal but i'm not as liberal as what people today are i'm a 1950s <clears throat> liberal which was i like racism i like misogyny <laughs> but i want to be yeah. liberal in my life as a white man almost mm. something like that i don't know what my thoughts are on that I, I hate that sort of saying like i'm a classic liberal it's almost like a trigger warning for me now where i'm like right so basically yeah you want to be stuck in the the, the 50s um we were talking off mic before you, you you turned up about like sort of freedom of consequence mm. um and the the tommy robinson situation with mike stotchbury i don't know if mm-hmm. you've, you've kept up on this where uh, Tommy Robinson's used his platform of freedom of expression to sort of stalk and encourage violence on another human being. Mm. But when it's turned around on him, you see him on Katie Hopkins' interview sitting crying salty tears about his PTSD that he got for yeah. his 50 days. Because he didn't have a telly in his jail. Uh, yeah. It's one of the kind of things as well, and, and this is where we were on it, is that 
like people think that their right to free speech is absolute, and I think this is part of where the problem that we're in at the moment with these, as you say, sort of right-wing elements that want to come out and say whatever it is they feel they're entitled to say, but they don't have to live with the consequences of their mm. actions, and that's not really, it's not really up for me because like free expression for me is a social contract as much as it is a right, and that yeah. if you're going to say something in the public domain, you do have like a responsibility to make sure that. Well, at least in the past, that it was accurate. I mean, this is where we then move into like fake news territory and all that kind of stuff. Was it's it's you, you can't have one without the other. And I think the people mm. that are the biggest advocates of free speech and free expression and certain elements are the ones that are the worst offenders for. Well, hold on, you can't punish me for that because yeah, you can't hold me to account for that because I was expressing my free will or whatever. Mm. Like, mm. but I think that that's to some extent they're right because Tommy Robinson has kind of I mean yeah he's you know got into a bit of trouble but he's still this huge like figurehead mm -hmm. um, doing all these protests and stuff so he has managed to escape consequence for a lot of what he's mm -hmm. done so they're not wrong when they say no, that that's yeah. because that's their lived experience of being these quite privileged like loudmouth white guys who can say what they want and get away with it um, and that's why the conversation is so artificial and um, cynical because when you talk about things like no pla I don't want to be too jargony but like these no platform policies when you won't have certain speakers or mm -hmm. safe spaces when you've got certain kind of rules about meetings and what can and can't be said um, what what they do is protect the free speech of um, more vulnerable marginalised people who typically haven't been able to speak free from consequence mm -hmm. because anything you say as like a Muslim woman for example um will be like spun and interpreted in a million different ways and um, pulled apart and criticised in a way that Tommy Robinson's speech will never be. Mm. Um, so it's it's a completely cynical sort of turning on its head um, of everything that free speech should be about. Yeah. But do you think that there is a place for, I mean, there, there does, I don't know if it's just me um, and my sort of, the, obviously like my own bias that I've got, but do you think there's a place for him in sort of, BBC, I mean, he seems to get himself on the BBC a yeah. lot. <laughs> and yeah. there seems, there, there's always the, the See, internet. Also Nigel Farage. Yeah, people like UKIP that almost seem like marginal themselves, but they get this massive platform to go and sit mm. on a panel with, with like conservative Labour. So when we're expecting an actual debate from like the mainstream politics on things like Question Time or whatever it might be, there also seems to be these very small groups that are put there almost to like shit stuff it yeah. feels to me and um, do you think there is a place for that that we should be engaging and with these people on mainstream media do you think it should just be like don't engage yeah i suppose there's a few different things one is it gets you into this real existential question about the role of media and politics and mm -hmm. whether media is there to reflect public opinion or to lead it and politics has that same or party politics has that same question and i don't think anyone's quite come up with the answer mm. to that um but I mean, what I would say is you kind of touched on it there. These views are marginal. I mean, they're growing. Um, arguably, they're growing because people keep getting given these platforms to, mm -hmm. to spread those ideas. Do you think that they're, they're growing because we've just had, I mean, this is something that, this is just thinking about these things though, but the, the fact that they've been quashed. So sort of post Blair Britain and post sort of Clinton America, mm. right up to sort of the end of Obama, even though they had George Bush in the middle, these ideas have been sort of like, you can't say that. Mm. Um, that's almost been until maybe the last sort of five years where it's been like this sort of wave of 
we need to be able to say these things and like you're saying, the sort of hijacking of free speech. But I don't know if it's the platform that they've been given in the last sort of four or five years or if it was the years that preceded that that have mm. caused this sort of like... Did the bigotry and the intolerance go away or did it just sit underneath and fester yeah. away to then now with the birth of the internet, people see their views being... I mean, with the, the echo chamber, you can almost... You, you could Google anything. You know mm. what I mean? You could Google as they are flat and you'll get positive affirmation that, yeah, the earth is flat. Yeah. So as mm. these views come up and come out and people are coming onto social media and seeing their own opinions being said by other people, it's almost like, I'm right. Yeah. So I don't, I, I'm not, I'm caught between, I think that I'm caught between the platform is given, is causing this and maybe even the ideas that you shouldn't think like that have caused this sort of festering mm. within individuals. I think there's quite a kind of nuanced cause and effect thing there which is that definitely when someone is sort of invited onto a tv show or whatever and then has that platform withdrawn that absolutely puts the ball in their court to mm -hmm. then be like well you can't say anything anymore yeah. you know and rile up their audience and yeah. get, get them on board but if someone's just not taken seriously and invited on in the first place that's quite a different mm -hmm. thing yeah. i think um, and no, no platforming does work. Like if you look at um, Milo Yiannopoulos, who's yeah. the mm -hmm. kind of alt-right figure that was associated with Trump and um, various kind of alt-right groups yeah. and he's stuff. He's a deplorable. He, I mean, he's he's horrendous. He yeah. said all kinds of That's awful the gay things. Guy gay people. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, he uh, he was kind of repeatedly no platformed, and he. I mean, his is a kind of interesting story because he got kind of um, like his own side kind of turned against him because of some things that he'd said which is a whole other thing because it shows that there are lines on what they'll mm -hmm. accept as free speech and not but anyway he um he was he was kind of did have this fall from grace and he's now bankrupt and like selling all his belongings online um and katie hopkins similarly just recently yeah. has been online kind of begging for donations on paypal and stuff because she doesn't get invited anywhere so it's not just a kind of moral thing you do also kind of hit these people and these movements where it hurts by taking away sort of funding and resource from them. And I think yeah. that's an important part of the, the conversation too, mm -hmm. um, is that it, it has kind of worked in those cases. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, so. on the Alex Jones part though, he is actually making more money mm. since he, but he's, I suppose he's a figurehead. He's very different to like Hopkins. Who's, he's a lightning rod, isn't he? he? Yeah, yeah. He's been about since the 90s and also he's got a massive, massive following. But he's actually started making more money since he got deplatformed. It's been the best mm. thing that ever happened to that guy. I mean, he was on Joe Rogan and he was crying about it. But I then read an article where people were saying ultimately he's delighted that this has happened because he's getting more followers on yeah. Infowars.com yeah. than he's yeah, ever yeah, had yeah. before. Mm -hmm. And that means pure money rather than uh, YouTube taking a wee slice or taking the 90% and giving mm. him the 10%. He yeah. gets the full 100%. Well, that's um, what I mean about again, the difference. He's between, a lightning rod yeah. in, that, in that sense. And he and he was able to flip that narrative because he was originally being invited onto these things. So he can then turn it around and say, mm -hmm. I'm being oppressed here. Yeah. Um, whereas that's, that's why I would kind of say that the best approach is just to like not really engage with this stuff mm -hmm. to begin with. I mean, we're, we're, too late for that unfortunately yeah. yeah um but but there is a kind of subtle difference there in in approaches if you're like a um, broadcaster or a you know someone who plans like events and debates and stuff yeah in terms of broadcasters i think obviously one of the big things for me is, is the notions are you know bias and how that's sort of slightly changed and i think it ties in with you know no platform in a sense that i think 
in the past, and I think you touched on it yourself, we gave guys like Nick Griffin, for example, mm -hmm. time on question time. And people were like, how can we have the leader of the BNP on question time? How can we give this guy this this exposure? Like, it's wrong. And he went on and he looked like an absolute dick. And, and then that was how he was done. And I'm like, but so the BMP increased in membership after that, though. So they? it was more complicated. That this is the, mm -hmm. this is the thing. And at the time when that happened, because I worked at the BBC briefly at the TV centre in London just after the Nick Griffin thing. All right. And I remember people saying to me from that team about how the whole it really caused this huge tension within the mm -hmm. production where other guests wouldn't share a green room with him he had to come in a separate entrance some staff refused to work on the night that he was on okay. question time i mean can you imagine that happening now it shows you how far the conversations yeah. and that's kind of what i was going with is that like we went for somebody like nick griffin for example being mm. this huge point of contention that he was getting on mainstream television to something again like question time for example having, as I say, a UKIP member of staff or MP or MEP or whatever it is, somebody in that sort of neck of the woods on an almost weekly basis. But where the bias for me comes in and where it's important to like call it out is that UKIP have always traditionally polled in and around the same numbers as the Green Party. Yeah. But there's no a member of the Green Party or somebody who is pro-Green or you know environmental or whatever it is that's there with the same platform the same amount of time to actually come and make their points and that's where you know free expression free speech becomes important to me is that if we're going to get to people on the extremes of debate mm. then we need to also get to the people who represent as many of the countries yes. you know these yeah demagogues exactly. yeah it's a totally false um sense of balance when they so, especially in scotland i mean there's the issue recently of um the guy, I can't remember his name, the guy who'd like trained his dog to do Nazi yeah. salutes. And he did get, he got, yeah, that <laughs> one. Um, we've, we've been debating whether or not to get him on the podcast. Oh, right. Um, but <laughs> let's try. We, try. We, we sort of got to the crux of, we would probably end up arguing with him. I don't know. I mean, has he got anything him. interesting to say? <laughs> well, he's a member of UKIP. <laughs> but this is, this is the thing. So he, he, and he did get, he got um, prosecuted of a hate crime, right? Yeah. So yeah. He, um, they get acquitted, I'm sure, or whatever other thing they, uh, an uh, appeal. Oh, okay. Right. I don't, didn't realise that. But yeah, he, anyway, he, um, so he's gone through this case and he got invited to take part in this show on the new BBC Scotland channel and there's big uproar about it and he eventually got taken off that show which again is this thing that I'm talking about gives him this brilliant mm. narrative but what was really weird about that was in Scotland there's no evidence of any real like base of support for views like his so why do we need to have them represented? I, mean, I think he's just a shit my experience yeah. is he's just a shit well, poster he started, yeah. this is the, he started out um, under a sort of I'm a comedian hmm. sort of that it's quite really funny again yeah, <laughs> i know again comes from america though that's like an american sort of stance where protect comedy because mm. the, the stand-up comedians we, sh we should be the people that push push the envelope um right okay but then he's in brussels with farage with his fucking mm. tesco suit on with a big smile on his face and yeah. you're like you're not just a comedian mate you, no. you you've used that to get yourself notoriety and now somehow you've got like a couple of hundred wee guys that think yeah. you're fucking god. It's I mean, the opposite of being like an edgy outsider. Yeah. It's like right in the middle of the <laughs> exactly, establishment. Exactly, exactly. Um, which, I mean, this isn't on my list, but how do you feel about that sort of twist on the establishment that people like Farage have managed to, mm. to, to create almost? Like Trump... Anti-establishment, yeah. come on, to fuck like fake, like the sort of Jacobry Smog. Yeah, Jacobry Smog, yeah, yeah. like these people that are managing to come out and be um, 
like sort of anti-establishment outside very much indoctrined yeah. into the establishment they're right in the center of it like you were saying like mm. how did they do that how the fuck does that happen i know this is what i mean it's, it's very similar to, to the way that they've hijacked this free speech conversation they're yep. actually really good at branding and mm -hmm. that dictating a narrative and the left haven't been as good as that i mean you mentioned the green party earlier um you know i'm big fans of a lot of what the green party have done and a lot of their representatives yep. but they've never tried to embrace that kind of outsider radical thinking mm -hmm. thing and arguably they would be more successful if they did they've kind of always tried to say um you know we, we are represented in parliament like and make all these very very logical and rational arguments about equal kind of um, representation on TV and yeah. all of that stuff because of their parliamentary representation. But if they really like embrace that kind of similar narrative of we're on the outside, you know, we're with you, we're, we're also sort of pushing in mm -hmm. to try and change things. And, um, and they've, they've never, they've never done that. Not, not to single out the Greens specifically, but they're just a good counter yeah, example from absolutely. the left. Um, but the, the right winger, they've been amazing at, at doing that. It's, it's really, uh -huh. um, frustrating to watch because it's so clever and effective yeah i mean i was watching and again we're, we're discussing it off mic just before you came in um i watched the uh, divide and conquer and um, the mm. i think it's sky atlantic are running it and it's the story of roger ailes and fox news oh. and how they consciously made that choice to take news in a emotional and sort of you know sort of personal direction and mm -hmm. I say it's been hugely successful. They've, you know, led to the ascension of presidents and all sorts of stuff across the world, wars and all the rest of it as a result. But like, we don't have that mm. counter on the left. You know, that's something like that. That mainstream kind of like, well, here's this huge mainstream platform where we can put all these sort of left-leaning ideas out because mm -hmm. so much of the media is you know, at least sort of slightly right-leaning, if no yeah. worse. You know what I mean? And also because the right have been really good at getting on board the people that the left should have got on board. So if you think of like the, the kind of narrative about the Brexit vote and all that, mm. I mean, Jacob Rees-Mogg and Nigel Farage and all that are sort of claiming to be the the greatest ally to like the working class who've been shafted by yeah. austerity, right? I mean, all that they're doing is selling out the people they claim to represent because they're like shacking them up with millionaires who are exploiting them. Yep. Um, and the, the left should be the natural home for those people. Um, but we've failed in a lot of ways to do that i mean yeah. not universally i think there's mm -hmm. been some really good movements and and there are plenty of like working class left-wing people i'm not trying yeah. to uh, cast aspersions on like a whole class of people but Absolutely. i just mean in terms of the sort of campaigning narrative yeah um that's that's who they've targeted yeah and that's got a lot to do with and again we talk about you know blair and beyond when it comes to like the labor party like they became kind of almost center right in a lot of respects when you know the people who traditionally voted them were looking for you know, left wing, and I know obviously mm. in '97 when Blair came in, that was a massive change for a lot of people. But what we've been left with in the aftermath of it is, yeah. you know, a lot of middle ground and a lot of sort of centre right policies, even to this day, still yeah. coming from the Labour Party. So I think when, you know, the people who are traditionally meant to stand up for the rights of, you know, these working class people don't, as they have failed to do a number of times, yeah. people are going to look for alternatives, and I think this has been totally. one of them that. You know, people have obviously jumped on, not necessarily understanding it fully, mm -hmm. um, but you know the broad strokes that guys like Farage and Mogg and Johnson and that have been able to paint for people are, you know, in a hue that appeals to them. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that thing of, you know, how neoliberalism looks really good maybe when it's like more left wing than what mm -hmm. came before, but all it does is like set the ground for 
more extreme right wing ideas. I mean, it reminds me of there was like a there must have been an anti Donald Trump march, and there was someone a picture of it, and there's someone with a placard that said, uh, "If Hillary had won the election, I'd be at brunch right now." Now that really sums up like all the problems because like yeah, maybe you would be, but all that that would have done is like stem the tide for a few more years. Yeah, yeah. you know, there's still all this stuff bubbling up underneath that we all fail to mm-hmm. engage with beforehand, uh-huh. um, and it's policies like that of Hillary Clinton and Tony Blair and this sort of neoliberal yeah. establishment that that bolster um, the right and set the groundwork for it. Yeah. Um, so it's so I mean it's so frustrating that that's the terms that the debate mm-hmm. is dictated mm-hmm. within. The left. I mean, I find it hilarious. Um, I, I watch a lot of sort of American podcasts and I find it hilarious when they refer to Barack Obama as the left. Mm. And you're just like, really? Like, what the fuck? No. Or Hillary Clinton as the left. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I've got. A, a, yeah it's left 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 at donald trump but I sure mean, I yeah think i've got i've got more time i've got a bit of time for some of the things that barack obama did and i don't have any time for some of the other things that he did yeah, but yeah. I've, and you know he's working within a system that um didn't allow him to do a lot yeah, of stuff I that, that i think he would have done yeah i, I agree um, with that i think that but, yeah. for me he probably thought that he could change a lot yeah. and when he gets in it's like you can change nothing yeah and i respect away. that he came from a sort of community organizing background in a way that hillary and, and i don't mean to trash hillary clinton in terms of it would have been a great symbolism to have a women president and all of mm, that stuff yeah. um although that's definitely not a panacea been, yeah i don't think she's um, the right woman though it's, no neither do i um, and she didn't come from that she doesn't come from that community organizing sort of grassroots background yeah she just comes from an establishment like mm-hmm. upper east side kind of uh, party what i see the problem on the left is is that it's almost um like there's there's no room for sort of movement within it so people that were voting that said especially in america that i don't want to vote for trump but i don't mm. want to vote for clinton was almost seen as some sort of like that's offensive to me that you're not going to vote for Hillary because yeah. she's the the Democrat and it's almost like, but we don't, surely there must be something different to like yeah. right yeah. and right. There needs to be something. Um, that, and I think that that is a problem that we're seeing that the left is so divided mm. on so many issues and that it seems to be prevalent in people my age and younger that if you don't believe, if you don't agree with them 100%, it's almost like, well, we don't agree on anything. Like, I can't mm. listen to what you've got to say on any subject because that's one thing we don't see eye to eye. Yeah, but I wonder if that's more a sort of structural, like, systems thing than it is a sort of ideological issue. Because, like, in the US example, I mean, I absolutely would have voted for Hillary Clinton in that election mm. for lack of any better alternative yeah, and yeah. to keep Donald Trump out. But that's because that system is completely ridiculous. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. where there's only ever two viable candidates. Um, and as you say, they both come from within, you know, a, quite a small range of each other. I don't yeah. mean that sounds like I'm saying Hillary Clinton is the same as Donald Trump, no. which I would not say. But there's um, a spectrum. But yeah, to there's left a, to yeah right, exactly. There's a large part line. of that spectrum missing uh-huh. from that conversation. And that's the same with the sort of party political system in the UK. It kind of forces you to think in these terms of um as you say, like full agreement or Yeah. Completely or right or completely yeah. wrong. That's it. It's like you're right or wrong. You, mm-hmm. there can no be there can't be like a sort of middle ground between Oh, I quite like some of the there's there's a lot of the conversations that I have with like friends where I, I say to them, Well, I quite like some of the ideas of the right. Not mm. necessarily the right that you see in on in the newspaper, but some of the actual fundamental ideas of capitalism would work if it was 
kept in check. For instance, if we didn't mm. let corruption go fucking wild, we didn't let the markets dictate how people live. And mm. there are some ideas, there are some ideas on the left. And I think that the politics of a mixture of both has got to be the way forward. Like, I don't mm. like, For example, think, like the national or the potential renationalization of like railways and post offices and stuff like that. I mean, those are something that will be dismissed as an almost like, you know, and I know it's not really like a sort of socialist policy, whatever it is, but like the media and the right tend to use these terms in a dismissive manner. And the minute they hear people, particularly in the UK and in America, that, or that, you know, it's communist, it's socialism, yeah. it's what it's, you know, Commie. Marxism, Commie or whatever scum. it is. <laughs> and it's intended to turn people off. But like when you look at something like the railways, they were never run better than when they were in public mm-hmm. ownership. You know what I mean? Like, so there is a balance that can be struck between what's best for the public. And what's you know ideologically what your your yeah. party you're voting oh, totally. for after? You know I mean, I mean like, not not to go down like a total sort of theoretical route, mm. but like loads of left wing ideas and ways of doing things that would be dismissed as these sort of pie in the sky like communist utopia yeah. ideas are, are way more like productive in terms of um, even like in capitalist terms in terms of like. economic productivity and like um the money that you can make back on things so you know things like universal basic services for instance Mm -hmm. which um is kind of discussed in these terms of like oh you know complete like wouldn't happen in a million years yeah um but like all the evidence shows that it would be like really good for even even in a capitalist society it would generate like public good it would generate public money mm-hmm. um and and loads of when you drill down like loads of left-wing ideas free public transport is the same mm-hmm. um the right see and, and our party political system seem to only be able to interrogate things on this very like surface level yeah. that's like mainly ideological and also sort of like immediate like what's mm-hmm. the immediate impact of something like that uh, well we have to pay for it well we won't do it then mm-hmm. um rather than you know looking kind of at how it would actually work in practice so again it's about how it's been framed and I, I think this is something that we were again talking about in the build-up to this was like i think there's a number of debates going on in the public domain that are framed in very simplistic very um sort of reactionary terms in a lot of cases obviously we've had the recent debates around brexit which have been mm-hmm. really polarized scottish independence um even on a on a lower level i've seen on your your twitter feed obviously there's a number of instances you call it like sort of transphobia and homophobia mm. and stuff like that and again i think those debates as well are also had in very <clears throat> sort of stark terms now at times and i think when we talk about what's all right to say and what's no right to say it becomes a, a bit of a minefield even when you're sort of well-intentioned a lot of times mm. but i think there's a lot of people that are maybe afraid of some debates now because of the potential outrage and, mm. and sort of offence they might cause other people and I think that's all about how these conversations are framed in like really simplistic terms you know what I mean like I think like for example the one I was trying to get to grips with in the build up to this was the, the sort of transphobia side mm. of things like I have absolutely no issue whatsoever with anybody being you know who they are I don't understand the journey they're on mm-hmm. but then when I try to get information or you know try to talk to somebody about the journey that somebody in that you know life is on what I get is discussions about what toilets they should use. And yeah. like, how does yeah. that help anybody? Like, it's really, really simplistic terminology to frame a really complex debate, and it happens across a number of things in, in, mm-hmm. in modern life. How do people navigate it? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think you, <coughs> I think you are 
right and that that's people's experience of being like worried to engage with certain topics and stuff but I think that's also a, a product of this sort of like artificial thing like I don't think there are many people well-meaning people on the left who would attack someone for using the wrong word or mm -hmm. you know if it's clear that someone's well-meaning and engaging in good faith mm -hmm. I'm not gonna jump down their throat because they use the wrong terminology or whatever yeah. it's just not something I would do and I don't know many people that would mm -hmm. so I think it's almost like a, a straw man like a fake argument right. that's okay. been constructed that that's fake news almost um, that certain discussions because yeah i think the right would like people to believe that mm. like um that it's you know because because it fits in with that narrative yeah. of like oh the left will just you know cast you out forever if you use the wrong word yeah um i find it interesting that you can't almost and especially i keep going back to america but you can't say the word feminist without almost sort of saying marxist they, they've kind of went right here's something that people fear Let's just put the two of these together yeah. and just That's make just them some kind. Somebody had said on a podcast, you would think if you open your front door that you're going to get eaten by a rabid Marxist feminist trans transgender like woman. That's mm -hmm. that's what you feel, but it's not true. And when you meet these uh, like transgender people, they're, they're not the way that they're sort of portrayed. They're almost like the anger in the trans community. It, it doesn't exist. It's mm. like it, it doesn't exist. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a whole different debate, isn't it? Because I would say even if people even if trans people are really angry like i would say that they're very justified to be so oh, after the way they've been course, treated yeah especially um, like recently i mean yeah. like you're saying that the, it it's been used as like a almost as like a sort of fear tactic for totally it's yeah. like put out there for people to go oh mm. don't want that and and, and it's been used and it's been used to back up the mm. the debate that we like started talking about around mm -hmm. free speech and offense and all of that stuff it's it's very much like being pushed into that territory of like, um, like I remember when when I was a student officer and spiked who I mentioned the yeah. right wing magazine, they did this ranking thing. I don't know if they still do it every year where they look at different university and student association policies and they give you like a red, green or yellow rating depending on how much they think you're threatening okay. free speech, right? So they gave Edinburgh where I was um, a red ranking as in like we were really putting free speech in danger. Okay. And one of the reasons they gave for that was um, that the university had a policy of um, ex uh, of uh, referring to trans students by the gender that they said they were. So, okay. like, if I say I'm a woman, then they would call me a woman. Um, <laughs> like, I can't think of anything that's more an example of free expression. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they they took that because it's like against their ideology. Uh -huh. uh, they took that as like a threat to free expression. So, mm -hmm. in a way, it's like a really pure example of uh, exactly like how these things yeah, operate they wouldn't be able to express themselves in the terms that they want you're hard yeah you're and because okay. they see it as like the the progressive left are telling us all what to think mm. you know um mm. but i can't i mean what's what's more what's a more pure example of free expression than this is who i am this is yeah, ah, <laughs> yeah. How, how do you think or what's your thoughts on the the jordan peterson canada sort of episode where i don't actually know i didn't read the legislation but the Canadian government tried to legislate that the pronouns would be, it would be against the law for you not to address somebody in the pronoun that they wanted to be addressed by. Mm. Do you think that that's a move in the right direction or not? Like, in the Do you think we should be legislating how you refer to people? Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky thing. I think legislation is often used as like a really blunt instrument to try and just like end these discussions and yeah. debates and I don't, it doesn't necessarily work like even if I, that's 
legislation that kind of is in line with like my take on the subject uh-huh. but i don't think it's necessarily the right instrument it doesn't mm-hmm. shut down yeah. any of that hostility because yeah. personally and then you're going to jail somebody for deliberately using our award yeah, yeah i mean that's that's personally if, if anybody if i mean i'm I, I think myself as a nice person so if somebody said i want to be called this I, of course yeah no skin off your back oh, is well, it? i mean what what what's it got to do with me like yeah. actually like that's the kind of question that I want to ask a lot of these people. Like, what's it got to do with you? Like, yeah, if, exactly. If, if there is, if there is somebody that's born male and they grow up and they decide that they want to transition into female and then want your respect because that's really what you're giving them. They want your respect enough for you to refer to them as they want to be referred to. Yeah. What has it got to do with you? I mean, I mean if I say to you, "My name's Eve," and you go, "Oh well, I'm just going to call you Jennifer." I mean, <laughs> what like what's what's the point in that? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's no, I don't really see what the difference is. It makes no difference to me at all. Mm-hmm. So. Treat I mean, someone the, the way they want the to be treated. The debate is getting pushed into. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you've seen. I can't even remember the the athlete's name, the woman that's like the Olympian. Oh, the Sharon Davis. Sharon woman. Davis, the the sort of yeah. trans uh, women in sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I that, think she's approached that quite well in terms of how she's discussed it with people. You know what I mean? Like she's, you know, as much as it's one of the ones I can get her point. I think uh, she's saying that if people are physically different, then there should be different classes for that to be the case. And I'm like. <clears throat> I don't necessarily disagree with that. No, I don't either, but it is so small. Mm, yeah. The percentage is tiny. I've, I've seen this story about the MMA fighter, about retweeted about a mountain people referring to it, and you know, that happened once. Yeah. And a very, very small, it wasn't it happened, didn't it happen in the UFC. We've not got like mm. uh, trans women um, and like the Scottish women's football team like kicking lumps out of people. It just yeah. the, the the outrage that Sharon Davis yeah. is sort of like jumping on board on again almost doesn't exist i think that's exactly it i haven't engaged that much with the sport argument specifically Mm -hmm. but one of the things that i did see was like a i think it was a sports scientist um tweeted like how frustrating she found the whole debate because there are already these regulations in place and they already work yeah um so it is it's just come out of nowhere yeah it's about managing levels using examples of amateur sport is mm. not. I That's mean, pure anecdotal. Like, like, I've I could go down a football park and play football with ten year olds and kick fuck out them yeah. and win the game. Are you going to get the right wing <laughs> at the side of the park videoing and going? This man shouldn't be playing with these kids. Yeah. It, it, because every example that's been used is probably amateur should. sport. Almost mm. well, probably should. No, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I'm not advocating that fully grown men put an eleven side team and get themselves entered into the under tens. <laughs> not at all. But this is the type of thing that's actually Sorry. getting used. It's like amateur sports. It's like yeah. very nuanced, very small instances where. This type of thing's happened and people are actually like, I'm, I feel this, yeah. I feel this. Being born out of proportion. Yeah, definitely. So like, see, off the back of some of these discussions, obviously we kind of touched on legislation. We had um, a representative um, fans against criminalisation in against a few weeks mm. ago, uh, talking about the repeal of the Offensive Behaviour Act and obviously legislating against or for free rights or free expression, free speech, etc. Um, it's a bit of a minefield for me. I think as you move into the 21st century, we, we need legislation that covers... How, how we are in the modern world and mm. i don't think a lot of what we've got at the moment is fit for purpose just now never mind where we're going to be in 10 years time um i mean wh- wh- where are you on this sort of topic because i mean as a sort of free speech advocate I, I would assume that you were for as little legislation as possible but i mean mm. i don't know if that's true or no where um, I suppose I don't think I am for as little legislation as possible, but I think I, my ideal would be a state that 
works in the best interests of its citizens, which I don't think we've got. So mm-hmm. that that then does make me, you know, very um, kind of critical yeah. of uh, just legislating to solve problems. And I suppose my motivation is always about um, like people and society mm-hmm. and how it operates. And it's like we were saying with the kind of Canada example, you can legislate and legislate, but it doesn't solve any of the underlying kind of yeah. problems that made that debate spark up. Um, so I'm kind of more interested in solving them at that level and how you how you navigate that amongst people and make mm-hmm. people's lives kind of easier and better. Um, but I don't I don't think it's impossible to legislate for issues relating to kind of freedom and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. I mean, the the sort of um, you know like founding principles of free speech in like political theory and stuff um, talk about it as being. Uh, like the ability of just normal citizens to hold power to account without being punished for it. Yeah. Um, and it has this kind of bit in it that's called the harm principle that is like an exception where you mm-hmm. can't just use your free speech to harm other people. Yeah. Now, I think that's a very sensible kind of definition of free speech, but it's not really in the interests of like the state to uh, legislate for that. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that's where you kind of run into these, mm-hmm. these issues, I think. So, you know, the law is not always... Um, like the best kind of arbiter so one of the things things. that in in terms of like as you say harm and you know this type of notions are legislating for or against free speech like where are you in terms of and i think this is something that's going to become more and more sort of important to us again as we we go down the the line whistleblowers like Mm. obviously in in the media they will have probably covered quite a lot on the chelsea mannings the edward snowdens and various other incarnations that have happened in recent years and that's going to become more and more a thing as governments become more and more secretive about what they're doing mm-hmm. like how do we protect somebody like a whistleblower how do they how is their free expression like protected in a you know largely authoritarian sort of technical state you know yeah I mean? yeah um i mean it's a difficult question because i don't know the kind of specifics of the law around mm-hmm. that um all i would say is obviously my sort of principle on it is that those people absolutely should be um protected mm-hmm. and i think they are i mean and i know that, that journalists are very um <laughs> a lot of journalists can be like really grandstandy and think that it's like the best most important profession in the world and I don't buy into all that Mm. but I think that what it does give you is like a real sense of moral duty um and all the journalists I know would go to extreme lengths to protect sources and protect Mm -hmm. whistleblowers and that kind of thing um and I think that's that's really important um but I don't know I I mean the law clearly doesn't always work because you've got people who do end up being punished for um, Mm -hmm. whistleblowing and that kind of thing um, but again, I think it just presents you with this existential issue about how do you get a state who um, their interest is to protect themselves? How mm-hmm. do you get them to protect people who um, kind of want to hold them to account? I don't, yeah. I don't know what the answer to that is apart from a completely different um, system. Fair enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the Snowden, and especially the Snowden, and um, that's the guy that's in the. The embassy in London, Assange, Assange one mm. that really like, I I really think that these are important issues of like this time, and we're just ignoring them. Mm. They just they've went away. I mean, they they they're, they're mm. spoke about in sort of non mainstream terms, and 
almost like they want them imprisoned. I mean, there's a, there's a whole movement in America to get Snowden like punished. Yeah. Well, uh, in Russia, aren't they? I mean, these guys have to hide. I mean, Assange has been in a cupboard in the Ecuadorian embassy for how many years now? You know yeah, I mean? although I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put Assange in the same category because no. what he's hiding from is a, a rape conviction. Well, yeah, um, true. Which is quite different than a sort of yeah. whistleblower uh, type affair. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I share your concern about Snowden and Chelsea Manning and all of these people mm. who have done something that you know, if you want to talk in sort of um, capitalist right-wing terms, is arguably like a real um, kind of act of martyrdom, um, mm-hmm. which isn't a word that like comes naturally to me. But no. um, if we're going to talk in those people's language, um, they've done, they've they've acted completely in the national yeah. interest, and um, and yet that you know they end up in these awful situations. So something needs to change. Yeah, I think it's a lot more people need to be told about what happened. I think, I think that they. What they've highlighted is, you know, perpetration a level of harm on the public and in the public interest. So I think in those circumstances, when somebody, you know, blows the whistle on, you know, governmental or, you know, whatever yeah. behaviour, if those two boxes are ticked, then there's absolutely no way anybody should be having to move to Russia or no. hide in embassies or, you know, go to jail for prolonged periods of time. It's insane because the good that they have done as a result of being open and, and speaking freely is vastly outweighed by you know any damage that could be done you know yeah. get assets in the field and you're like well take them out then yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you want you might leave them there let their bone get them out like stop whinging mm. you know what i mean like it's just i don't get it man it's yeah funny. i'm 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 in the same boat i just don't understand <clears throat> just don't, I, I just i don't understand why people are only more outraged about that than what they're about a vegan well, sausage roll exactly you know yeah i mean, I mean that sort of brings us back to like the very first kind of thing that we discussed which is that like these people who claim to be these massive protectors of free speech just aren't yeah. caring about the real free speech issues yeah um and in many cases they're actively encouraging the like shutdown of dissent Absolutely. um i did a wee bit in the blog recently um where we discussed notions of sort of outrage and um mm. like notions of offense and stuff like that and i kind of commented along the lines of that the people who use terms like snowflake and cuck the most are the ones that tend to be the quickest to be like, you've offended me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's that, you know, sort of juxtaposition of those two things where they want the right to say whatever outrageous bullshit that they want. They say yeah. whether it be about sausage rolls or Brexit or anything in between that spectrum. But the minute you then challenge that view, it's, oh my God, I'm offended by that. And you're like, hold on, guy, that door does not swing both ways. Like, yeah. you either, it's either all okay or like none of it's okay like you don't really get to pick and choose which parts of free speech work for you mm. and don't it should either be i can call you or say whatever i want to say or you know we need a legislative process that tells us where the lines are yeah and i suppose like the thing that's really crucial which i maybe haven't even mentioned yet is like that the way that the free speech conversation operates completely obscures like any kind of power relation so like you get the right wing getting like really upset about um yeah like sausage rolls mm-hmm. and like razor adverts and oh, stuff man. you yeah, get the left wing being things. really upset about like rape threats and yeah. like the, dis- the the um like shutdown of protests and, and like stuff the like cognitive that dissonance involved yeah and, and the way that it's constructed is like as if all these things are just on one level yeah, and it's all just about whether you're allowed to speak or not and there's no kind of interrogation of like the different implications for people sexual assault is exactly the same thing as sausage well exactly, yeah <laughs> i mean in their worldview apparently it is yeah 
um and that's yeah, yeah that's that's a very deliberate um kind of operation of of how they've constructed free speech yeah. is that it completely just flattens out any kind of power disparity between different groups in society mm-hmm. So how did you feel about, I seen you were tweeting about the Grand Wizards. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just... I think it's... it's Your tweet about the lassie for uh, Laura or whatever her name is, is absolutely oh, nailed was, it. I mean, like, even if they didn't mean like it, that. like, yeah. how did you get this so wrong? Yeah, yeah like, I mean, she her, like, her reporting of that, and I'm not a person who, and as I said, I, w- I worked at the BBC briefly, and... Mm-hmm. You know, I really admire a lot of the journalists of there and a lot of what they do. I don't go in for this sort of blanket, like, bashing the BBC yeah. thing. But the way that she reported that was outrageous. Yeah. I mean, to A, not make the connection between the term and, then like and the KKK. And then to just, to the way t- to react to everyone's outrage by just doing, like, this hurried sort of defence of them. A- another journalist would have made that the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there was the thing yesterday about when one of the... Um, Tory, I think it was a Tory MP, used the phrase cultural Marxism, as you mentioned there, which is like quite a clear sort of far-right anti-Semitic like dog whistle term. Yep. And journalists did make that the story. There was all these headlines saying, you know, Tory MP uses anti-Semitic like language. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how a journalist should respond to that. They should spot that straight away and they should turn around and say to that person, mm-hmm. why have you used that term when it's so associated with the far right? I mean, what, what, how, how she could have not made that something yeah. like connection to begin yeah. with? I, I and then just accept their defense. And Grand Wizard and being like, hold on, what, what did I miss there? Yeah. Let's yeah. scroll back through. I mean, I don't know how you could, anyone who's like slightly engaged in politics or society could see that term and think of anything else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind was, it was exactly that. It was just yeah. like, why is somebody calling something Grand Wizards? And yeah. Like, it's so triggering and it's such a, a prevalent thing with the, the Chloe Klotz clan, like you're saying. I, I mean, I didn't even understand uh, what cultural Marxism meant until yesterday. Mm. I mean, I'd heard it a few times and was just kind of like, that just sounds like bullshit to me. When I'd, yeah. I'd heard other people use it and asking, like, so what's that? And just X, Y, and Z, and like, all right, okay. But I didn't understand the sort of anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that sat behind it mm. um, about the sort of Jewish, powerful Jewish people trying to sort of undo Western society. Um, and then you get, then you start to think about George Soros and some yeah. of the stuff that's been going on about him and how he yeah. became a fucking boogeyman. And it's like, why? Very, why is this guy became a boogeyman? It's, it's, been, it's been an ongoing debate. And, it's, and I think, again, where, especially in the UK, where the left and right have a disparity in terms of how they're issues are being addressed and how they're being debated in the public domain. Like, the Labour anti-Semitism row, you know, for me is, in a lot of senses, largely fictitious. I know there are people who have tweeted things that have maybe been over the line, but there's also been a number of people who have been dug up for, well, a conflation between Israel and you know, mm. Jews. And I know there is obviously a serious connection, but, you know, the two are all, should also be sort of separate entities. But then you compare that to actual outright Islamophobia in the Tory party that mm. is like as clear as day and the reactions to the two are like really disparate. Mm-hmm. So there were the Tory things a bit like, yeah, I know, we, we expect Tories to be a bit racist, come on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas like, the Labour Party's like, this is unacceptable and it's been used as, as a rod to really beat pretty much Jeremy Corbyn around the head for 18 months and all he did was object to a couple of lines in the, the sort of national committee mm. you know manifest about the definition of anti-semitism, anti-Semitism. so like it's still a weird debate where 
one is 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 there but is not as pronounced as being made the case, and another one on the other side is there prominently and is being completely underplayed. And I'm just like. How does that? How does that service anybody? Mm. I mean, I, I suppose people have made that comparison quite a lot recently. And where I think we can go a bit wrong on it is that sometimes the conclusion that people seem to come to is that um, there should be less of an issue made of the labour Islam uh, uh, labour anti-Semitism thing oh, no. to bring it down to the level of the Tory Islamophobia thing. Whereas I would say the opposite, which is that any kind of issue of that kind of thing within party politics or any context yep. um should absolutely be interrogated by the media and held to account mm-hmm. um but as you say kind of on an on an even footing because um you know it's the press that are dictating yeah. who gets so the attention or whatever. rape and sausage rolls is the same thing on one yep. side but islamophobia yep. and anti-semitism not the same thing on the other side you know what i mean like, as yeah. you say, that leveling out hmm. it's pretty crazy um what's your feeling on brexit Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so we're, we're, in general, we're, we're, what we were planning on doing was we'll get the last sort of four guests just to talk about Brexit for about 10 15 minutes. Now, I was going to put it together and put it out on the days leading up to 29th of March, but ah, uh, yeah, it's kind of pointless now. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look like we'll leave unless we leave without a deal on the 29th of March, but yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. But um, it's been a bit of a fucking shit show. I mean, well, totally, I mean, yeah. we're still at the first stage of like agreeing how we'll leave and then I, I think what people don't understand is that their level of negotiating is going to need to happen after we decide how we're going to leave and this is just the framework for negotiation we can't agree on yeah. yeah um how do you see it panning out do you think we'll get a people's vote um i mean nearly there's been reports of a million people two million people couple of thousand people in london mm. at the weekend depending on what source you go to but i think there was a substantial amount of people that marched and i was sitting with my girlfriend and she was like that's amazing i was like mm, well we did it for the iraq war and what that fucking got us yeah. absolutely nowhere so where i don't i actually don't have an opinion on where this is going to land because i've got absolutely no idea yeah i don't think i do either people keep asking me as well yeah. <laughs> i am um, sorry no that's all right but i don't think any of us have got any like frame no. of reference for for mm-hmm. what's gonna happen i suppose my, my view on like brexit in general is you know i voted to remain i'd still vote to remain i think there's lots of problems with the eu yeah. mm-hmm. um but the terms of that debate left me no option but to vote for yeah. remain uh, there's yep. no such thing i don't think as a left-wing brexit when it's being dictated by no. you know reese mogg and boris johnson and all these people so i don't have i don't put any stock in the sort of lexit arguments though yeah. i have sympathy with some of their criticisms of the eu mm. um but i think that it's a very irresponsible answer to say well then we'll we want to advocate for brexit under these conditions yeah um, I'm the exact same. I mean, I'd say to a lot of people at the time that I'm no fan of the EU mm. um, in a general term, in a general way, but I'm absolutely not going to vote for Brexit based on immigration. Absolutely. That's yeah. nonsense based on figures that they're throwing about, which is nonsense. None of it's true. I mean, there are definitely plenty of arguments to be made, mm. uh, maybe even for the uh, evolution of the EU, but every single argument that was made to me during that campaign was just to my ears absolute fucking nonsense yeah so i couldn't vote for it um one of the things that was actually like a serious concern of mine is article 13 um i don't like if you do you know much about no nope. uh, so article 13 <laughs> I'm looking at you blankly <laughs> article 13 of the eu is the the internet so it's basically 
the, the EU's version of net neutrality. Oh, yeah. Um, or the opposite of net neutrality. They're trying to make it so that you can't use other people's content and anything, so you wouldn't be able to share memes mm-hmm. um, as part of a sort of consequence. But it's almost like the they're getting control of the internet. That's what they'll try to do. Right. Like to me, is that they'll try it's to just. It's going to happen everywhere, but there's going to be yeah. Yeah. corporations are going to monetize the internet and we're going to be pushed out. It's, just, it's mm-hmm. already happening in America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the sort of major concerns <clears> to me is that the, the EU and, and also some of the stuff that's happened in Spain. Mm. Um, like the Cat the Catalonia vote and yeah, looking at that yeah. and you're thinking that these are supposed to be we're, we're told that the EU is like going to uphold these human rights well where are these people's human rights and I live in a country that I want to be independent mm. how would I be treated if I decided to take to the streets and say that yeah, I, I want to live in an independent country but the UK come, government sent you know the army up to quell yeah. as post you know a yes vote yeah would the eu stand by and just let it happen and i think catalonia suggested probably would mm-hmm. yeah i think there's loads of i mean the eu is it's like a it is a kind of institution born out of neoliberalism right so i'm never gonna kind of align with yeah. all their ideologies i mean the one that gets me particularly is the treatment of the refugee crisis and the way that's been handled um pretty terribly really mm-hmm. you know there's there's refugees have been completely kind of dehumanized by the eu and just left to fend for themselves um but it's just you know we're in the situation that we're in we can i've got my politics are such that i would love us to be in a completely different situation yeah um you know vastly different and and i love talking about um these kind of utopian ideas and and all Mm -hmm. of that stuff but we are in the structural reality that we're in. Yeah. And I just, you know, as much as I've got these criticisms of the EU, um, I just, yeah, it's, it's just what I said before. I just can't see any situation in which you can have a kind of left-wing progressive exit from it under these circumstances. I think it's, you know, has to be about remaining and, and reforming in a big way. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how you make that argument to people who are now really angry that what they voted for hasn't, happened yeah um because all that does is encourage this really black and white mm-hmm. like uniform thinking so there's not really much room for nuance anymore where mm-hmm. nuance no. is exactly what we need um mm. people have been whipped up in a frenzy at the point that they won't see yeah you know the final detail of what's going on and i'm kind of with you in this respect i, I, I was following brexit pretty what i thought was sort of reasonably well up until about 10 days ago yeah. when all broke loose and i've just lost uh, or grasp I, I really just kind of switched off yeah i don't <laughs> know if it's like self-protection i, I think just there like, was an element of that anymore. for me as well yeah. i just went yeah i can't follow this anywhere i'm just going to you know it's going to happen anyway let's just roll with it yeah um, i mean i suppose the other thing to say about brexit is that um like my view on it is that it was the wrong answer to like the right question yes mm. so exactly. i think like a lot of people and i know I, I take the argument that like maybe the decisive votes in the brexit referendum were like sort of home counties racist who i don't have any time for at all yeah but in terms of like the sort of working class like angry shafted by austerity vote um they absolutely should have been asked these questions about like what's your life like you know does it need to change yeah um but like brexit wasn't the shouldn't have been the framework mm-hmm. for that um, but it was taken as that constituencies and saying yeah. how can i serve you in parliament they took the seats and went right how can i yeah know, help this party become more powerful and how can i you know in the pockets of myself and my donors mm. you know mm. I mean? and if what? it if it hadn't been brexit you know if we'd voted to remain 
that sentiment would still be there and it would still kind of erupt in some other extreme way down the line. For 40 years. It's not, um, you know, and a, a yes to remain would not have been the end of the debate, just the same as well, exactly. joining the EU, European Union was not the end of yeah. the debate. It, the, same as, the same as the Hillary Clinton example, where had Hillary Clinton won, she would just be, you know, pushing something into the long grass for a bit longer. Yeah. Um, the, the Brexit thing's exactly the same. And I think, you know, it's a real um, symbol of, the sort of failure of democracy that those people felt that that was the only voice they had was to vote for this huge, you know, extreme kind of yeah. shake up of everything because yeah. they've yeah. been and so let like down. America, the UK, mm. you know, there's other places in Europe like you know, you know, France at the minute. You know, every what the eighteen weekends in a row or something now they've had yellow vest protests mm. and so there is a level of disconcert, you know, worldwide and these, you know, forces are definitely making use of them and it's. Mm through, as you say, the limit of debate, this reframing of the debate and taking control of the structures of power that stop people from being able to challenge them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows where we'll land. I, I don't even know what I want anymore. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I, because it's it, we live in a sort of, it, it's almost like a sort of scary thing to think that the right could get this sort of anti-democratic like sort of foghorn if, yeah. if we do get a people's vote because Ultimately, that's what I kind of want. I'm stuck between that and sort of going, you know what, let's just get Brexit and get independent. And mm. I'm sort of stuck between, yeah. let's revoke Article 15, let's have another think about what we're doing and just let, let's all just let the shit hit the fan and see what, mm. what happens and give them what they want. And let's just, but that's so dangerous. Like, yeah. It's almost like, let's just roll the dice. Because we're going to, even, and let's see say the ideal up. scenario is the UK goes through with a no deal Brexit. Scotland at some point in the future after that becomes independent. Like, you know, destabilizing it is to have like a, a neighbor, a geographic neighbor that is, you know, have a look at how Greece, the effect something like Greece had on uh, the wider sort of EU because that mm-hmm. state was like so unstable financially. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's, you know, I think what they're doing in terms of the SNP, where they're trying to mitigate, trying to obviously voice to a certain degree like discontent and, you know, in Parliament, I think they're doing a really good job, and people are going, well, why do they care about the UK? They're after independence, you know, but while we're in the UK, it's important that they make as positive a contribution as possible, mm. so that the 6% swing we need for no voters actually happens, because we can't rely on the 45% that are already there, because they already got beat, you know what mm. I mean? Like, so, how do you do it? Well, you make a positive contribution in the short term, and I think it's going to be better for us long term to have a stable R-U-K once, mm. once we go you know what I mean like, but how that happens yeah. at this point I've got absolutely no idea well that's the thing I mean to go back to your point about the sort of danger of like different outcomes I think we're in a position now where it's all dangerous yeah. I think there's going to be some kind of you know either we I guess in an ideal world where everyone was just going to be happy with whatever happened I would want us to revoke article 15 just not exit and you know um, have a then have like a national conversation about how how we could address people's concerns and how things could be better. Um, that's not possible mm-hmm. in the current climate. Um, so you either you know you do that and you really upset people who already felt like they didn't have a voice, and that leads to huge kind of um, disruption in society that I think could could be really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Or you exit and you know god knows what happens then i mean that sounds terrifying to me there's just no there's no precedent for it we don't know what's going to happen yeah if you look at some of the um, stuff that's coming out about nuclear bunkers getting activated um yeah. bits, bits of the m6 getting paved over to have 
backups of lorries trying to get to Cali and all this sort of stuff. It is almost like scary as fuck, like yeah. martial law, potential martial law. I think it's all scary. And I think under a different government or in a different kind of political system, the ideal situation at this point or you know a few years ago um would have been to get out into communities that voted for brexit on these kind of like austerity grounds and and have a conversation with them about how brexit isn't the answer to their problems Mm -hmm. and um immigration isn't the cause of their problems and all of these things and do that community organizing community building work that empowers people i hate the word empower but like that gives people you know, builds power within communities and makes people feel like their voice counts for something mm-hmm. and then make the case for staying in the EU and reforming and all of that stuff. But the, our government is never going to do that. No. I mean, arguably, like, a, a Labour government under Jeremy Corbyn might come closer to doing that. That's a whole different debate. Yeah. They've got quite a good community organising operation, but they're not in power. Um, and we're too far down the line now for that. So, yeah, you know, it's a real failure of our... I think as well, and this is kind of maybe trying to bring things back around to what you know where we started on sort of free speech and, and people's understanding it. Like Brexit was something that allowed people to voice an opinion on the situation, a really complex, nuanced thing like the EU, mm. without really understanding it. And I think a lot of our politicians kind of went into that because it was what they ideologically wanted to happen. Um, so you had places like Sunderland voting against their best interests when, you know, Nissan, they're now away elsewhere. Mm. And it's happening up and down the country. So, like, that debate, and, and we touched on it with guys like fans and his criminalisation as well, is that, like, to, to defeat these issues and to, or to overcome these issues as a society, we need to be able to have an adult debate. We need to be able to talk to each other in open and honest terms. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the things that we've discussed today, like, obviously how the media portray things, how, you know, we perceive things, it really goes against that. And I don't know that any government really could have had the conversation that, mm. personally, anyway, that's what I think. I don't know any government could have had the conversation that would need to happen. Yeah. I mean, I don't know it's even a conversation. I think it's a national therapy session we need rather yeah. than a conversation, <laughs> yeah. to be honest with you. And a national, like, reckoning with ourselves. And I mean, I say ourselves, I'm talking about the whole UK. Yeah. Um, you know, a reckoning with that history and our place in the world and how we treated other countries Absolutely. and how we treat our citizens and i mean what government's going to do that no, <laughs> especially no. not a tory one let's have a, a you know a five-day debate in day one we're going to talk about winfield and you know uh, grenfield and windrush and they'll be like no that's yeah. not what's happening you know what i mean like even though these are all legit things yeah. or the empire yeah <laughs> the historical uh, slavery and whatnot it's it's just no uh, it's just not going to happen and this, these are all things that have contributed to getting us here definitely mm. Mm. where can people find you so um, I'm on Twitter at Eve underscore Rebecca or my website is um, EveRebeccaLivingston.com and that's where there's like a section on there that's about the No Offence newsletter where people can sign up. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Really appreciate it, yeah. Uh, really nice conversation. Um, like, I think that part of the worry, this is again, this is, reinforces this part of the worry is sometimes you read people and you're thinking, we're not going to agree on everything. Mm. How will this conversation go? We're going to spend an hour talking about stuff and I don't want to really go, I don't agree with you, but clearly, like, you know what I mean? Like, you can sit down and have a nice conversation with people that you don't fully agree with 100%, mm. but find common ground and also, like, sort of express yourself in, in a way that doesn't offend people. I think yeah, that's definitely. part of uh, what mm. we're doing. So thanks for coming on uh, and uh, I'd definitely have you back if we've ever got anything Great. else that we yeah, want to talk about. Absolutely. But.
Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Lightning falls when there is panic in the sky Thunder calls when all but fear is lived to die You tell it like it's fantasy Something that you're never going to be story every day There's just one thing that I have to say That if we believe If we trust you Then I don't know why you say the things you do You'd see a whole new way to be Giving honest answers and not Empty halls now filled with echoes of their past Honor stars, they lived each day like it's their last You tell it like it's fantasy, something that you're never going to Every day, there's just one thing that I have to say That if we believe, if we trusted you Then I don't know why you say the things you do You'd see a whole new way to be Giving honest answers and not those lies to me I can tell that you're on a mission just to break the walls down time and time again If it wasn't true, would it be okay to break the walls down time and time again? Is 
dancers are not those nice to me 